Christ as both Lord and Savior, we're going home. We're going to a home that is going to satisfy us in every way, and you're going to be able to say with your whole heart, home, sweet home, there ain't no place like home. Amen. As C.S. Lewis said, if I find that nothing in this world truly satisfies me, perhaps it's because I was made for another world. I believe that all of us were made for a heavenly world. Jesus assured his disciples of this fact in John chapter 14. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare this place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may also be. Friends, nearly 2,000 years ago, the Lord himself began preparing a city. A city. And in Revelation 21 and 22, John uses the word city 11 times to refer to a place called heaven. But it's not just a figure of speech. No. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author says this about heaven. He says that all of our predecessors in the faith have died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were just strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly, listen, that they seek a homeland. And in verse 16, the author says, they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city. Prepared a city for them. This morning, we're going to take a very brief tour of heaven as we continue this series entitled, After This Life. So far, we've discovered that there is more after this life and also have discovered that immediately after death, every human being that has ever lived or will live will experience one of two things. They will either experience a heaven that is better than they ever could have dreamed of or a hell that ain't no joke. The Bible showed us last week that we who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ will be greatly blessed by what we call a heavenly makeover. God is going to give you a brand new you. 
And it's going to be a great blessing for you. But my prayer today is this. I pray that each one of us here this morning are forced to examine and maybe even reshape our preconceived ideas about what happens after this life. For today, we'll look at the Bible's most detailed description of heaven. But to appreciate this indescribable place called heaven, we need to understand the characteristics of the city that will serve as heaven's capital. The Bible calls heaven's capital a new Jerusalem. A new Jerusalem. Now this new Jerusalem is not all of heaven. It's only heaven's center. It's only heaven's capital. It's only the crown jewel in God's brand new creation. So let's read about it. If you would, go to the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21 and let's see what Jesus himself revealed to John about what this place, this new Jerusalem, this heavenly city looks like, feels like, and what we can expect to experience. Better? Better yet? Might be dead. In chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 21, John writes, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, there nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was, on, was like a most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall, twelve gates of, with twelve angels at the gates. And the names written on them, which were the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. 
Verse 13, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, representing the New Testament. And he who talked with me had a gold reed in which to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. For me and you, that's nearly 1,400 miles. Its length, its breadth, and its height are equal. And then he measured its walls, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chryoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. And each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only, somebody say only, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, there are three things I want you to notice about our new heavenly home. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to imagine that we're standing in a valley right in front of this new Jerusalem, and the heavenly city is towering over us in magnificent beauty, and the very first thing that's going to make your jaw drop is how massive and how enormous this city will be. Let's take a look at the dimensions of this city. There in verse 15, we found a little bit of it. Uh, the angel who talked with John had a gold reed with which to measure the city, its gates and walls. And the city, he said, was laid out like a square. The length, as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 1,380 miles. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. And he measured its walls at 144 cubits. So as we stand outside this huge, enormous city, New Jerusalem, the first thing we notice is there's a lot of coming and going. There's a lot of coming and going because there's 12 gates to the city. So in this coming and going, we're reminded that this city is not the whole of heaven. This is just its capital. This is just the center, if you will. The size 
of this new Jerusalem is almost beyond what you could ever dream or imagine. It's the answer, friend, to everybody who's ever asked, how in the world is heaven going to hold all the saved of all the ages? It's big enough, I'm telling you. It's big enough to hold all those who come to faith in Christ. As these exact dimensions of the city are measured by that angel, it's described as a cube. The length and the breadth and the height all equal. So it's a 1,400 by 1,400 by 1,400 mile cube. And each one represents that 1,380 miles. So you don't have to worry about if heaven's going to be crowded. You're going to have more than enough room in even in this heavenly city because just the base alone, if you don't even take into consideration the height, just the, the width and the length is 200,000 square miles. Just the length and the breadth, 200,000 square miles. If you took a city that size and placed it in the United States, it would stretch from Canada to Mexico from the Appalachian Mountains all the way to the border of California. That's a big city. Somebody say amen. That's what I'm saying. But perhaps even more amazing than that 200,000 square miles is the height of this place. If we assume, say, 12 feet per story, this city is going to be 600,000 stories high. It's an amazing city. And within this vast and beautiful new Jerusalem, 200,000 square miles, 600,000 stories high, we're going to find that there are dwelling places prepared for all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. When we first see this city, you're going to be amazed. You're going to be amazed at the dimensions of the city, but you'll also be amazed at the things found in the description of this city. As you enter the city, you are going to stand there in amazement. It's going to astound you. But I want to point out five features why you're going to be so doggone amazed when you come to the New Jerusalem. Number one is the pearly gates. All of our lives, we've heard references to the pearly gates of heaven. But is that just a story? Is it just an exaggeration of the truth? I mean, heaven is usually pictured with just a single pair of gates entering into heaven. But that's not what we hear here. Listen to what John said in verse 12. He said, Then she, the city, had a great and high wall and twelve gates with twelve angels at the gates. And the name written on them were the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel representing the Old Testament. But then in verse 21, we also read that the 12 gates were 12 pearls and each individual gate was made of one solid pearl. So not one gate, but 12 gates into the heavenly city, each one made up of a single pearl. Now, there are some people who find great significance that the entrance to heaven, the entrance to this heavenly city, is a pearl. If you know about how pearls are created, pearls are created only 
through great suffering and great affliction to the oyster. So what does that mean? That means that any time that somebody enters into the heavenly city, you know what they should be remembering? The pain and the affliction of our Savior who enabled us to go there. A pearl. But there's not only the pearly gates that you're going to see. The next thing we're going to notice is the foundation of precious stones. Again, look in verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. Jasper, sapphire, chalcedony, emerald, sardonyx, sardius, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, jacinth, and amethyst. Friends, I looked up all those precious stones because I wanted to know what color they were. And there was reds and bright blues. There were deep purples and greens and bright yellows and every color of the rainbow were in the foundations of this city. So after the gates of pearl and you see the foundation of the city, that which you normally can't see, we normally can't see a foundation of a city. It's underground. But here that's not the case in the New Jerusalem because the foundations supporting the wall are fully visible. Everybody can see them and they're indescribably beautiful. This great city is going to be built on a 12-layer foundation, each one having one of these precious, beautiful, radiant, brilliant colors that these stones represent. But the building's greatest strength is always its foundation. It's always its foundation. Well, the New Jerusalem ain't built on one foundation. It's built on 12 foundations. Listen to verse 14. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Again, representing the New Testament in which we live. So you have the, the, the gates of pearl. We have the foundation of precious stones and beautiful radiant colors. But we also have what the Bible calls the streets of gold. As we enter the New Jerusalem, we discover that the streets really are pure gold. We think, most of all, when we say streets of gold, we say, oh man, this is the fable. This is an old wives' tale. It's full folklore. We sing about the streets of gold in heaven. But really, y'all, really pure gold? Well, friend, listen, I got it on the authority of the word of God that the streets of heaven really are pure gold. Verse 21 says, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent that's not all. Because not only is there the gate, not only are the 12 foundations, not only the streets of gold, but then there is this light. There is this light that comes from the Lamb. The greatest thing in heaven is not the glory of this city. The greatest thing in heaven is the Lamb and the light that He emits, the glory that He emits. Listen in verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. And the Lamb is its light. You know, the prophet Isaiah foretold about this. In Isaiah 60 verse 19, he said, The sun shall no longer be your light. Nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you 
and God will be your glory. This new Jerusalem, friend, listen, there won't be any electric lights. There won't be any power generators. There won't be any solar panels. There won't be no windmills. Why? Because they won't be necessary. The Lord will provide the light. The presence of light throughout the city will radiate from the throne of God. And everybody will be able to see the brilliance of the Lord Jesus in that city. But finally, we read that there is this river. This river of life and this tree of life. Now, I didn't share it originally, but take a look at chapter 22. And then the angel showed John a pure river of, the, of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and they shall hear his name, and it shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, no no lamp or nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them the light, and they shall reign forever and ever. When I get to heaven, yeah, I want to see my mama. Can't wait to see Granny. I can't wait to see some of the loved ones who have gone on before me. But when I get to heaven, see my Jesus and the Bible says that if I want to find the throne of God all I got to do is follow the river because the river clear as crystal flows from the throne of God all I got to do is follow the river each side of the river are planted not just a tree but many trees of life now our CIA kids learned recently that there was a tree of life that once stood in the garden of Eden but what we didn't discuss was that after Adam and Eve fell into sin, that tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden was removed from the garden and was placed in heaven. Where in Revelation chapter 2 verse 7, the Bible says, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So the tree of life is going to be there for me to partake of. Friends, this city is going to be beyond description. I wish I could do it justice. I wish that the word of God could even do it justice. It's going to be beyond description. But this city will not only be distinguished by what's in it, it will also be distinguished by what's absent from it. Let's take a look at some of these distinctions. Let's look at these distinctions of the city Heaven is distinguished as much by the things which will not be there as by the things that will be there. Here's what verse 4 in Revelation 21 says. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. No more tears. 
you notice that that's not what the Bible said? The Bible didn't say there'd be no more tears in heaven. What it said was God would wipe away every tear. There will be, however, no more death. There'll be no more need for a funeral procession or a cemetery. There'll be no more sorrow and there'll be no more crying. The greatest of all for us, perhaps, is the fact there'll be no more pain. There are some in this building this morning that live with chronic pain every day of their life. For others, it's not physical pain. Maybe it's pain of another sort. Those physically hurting, by the way, they came to church anyway. But it's not just the physical pain, because maybe it's the emotional pain that you're struggling with. But you're here anyway. Maybe you've struggled with the pain of rejection. Maybe you've struggled with the pain, friend, of failure. But you're here anyway. Maybe you've struggled with the pain of disappointment, but you're here anyway. Maybe you've struggled with the pain of loss. But you're here anyway. Pain. Friends, listen, it's a part of this life. There's no getting away from it. Pain is part of this life. But I've got some great news for you. God says, when you get there, there will be no more pain of any kind. That's reason to celebrate. But you know, heaven is not only characterized by the absence of those things, it's also characterized by the absence of sin. And that should be good news as well. Look in verse 8 very quickly. But the cowardly unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But then if you will notice, friend, in verse 27, the Bible also says, There shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only, you said only, those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now when I read that first list there in verse 8, I said, golly, I think I would have put murderers up there at the top of the list. I would have put maybe sexually immoral closer to the top of the list. Those idolaters and those sorcerers, I'd have put them at the top of the list. But no! Jesus tells John of those that will not be in heaven, the first two are the cowardly and the unbelieving. Now, what does that mean? Well, when it speaks of the cowardly, I believe that it's referring to an individual who has used fear to keep them from following Jesus. They're afraid to take a stand for Jesus because of what somebody else says or what somebody else is thinking. That's pretty cowardly. The next on the list is the unbelievers. And that undoubtedly applies to people who just flat out refuse to believe in God. But I think it also includes a lot of people who 
come to church. They come to church. They fake it. They just go through the motions of worship. They're not considering the Father. They're not thinking about their Savior who suffered and died for them. And they go through these motions of worship, but they never get around to personally trusting Jesus for salvation. That's equally unbelief. They may be a great person, but they never trusted Jesus themselves. And the only ones in heaven, the Bible says, are those whose names appear in the Lamb's book of life. Those who have come to Christ by faith, believing and trusting in His finished work on the cross. I believe, friend, that when we finally enter heaven, we're going to say, whew, now this is what I've been looking for all my life. The reason that I loved earth was at times it looked a little like this. My friends, if it weren't for the hope of heaven, this life It's the hope of heaven that gives us the power to face the realities of this life. The gross and painful realities sometimes of this life. It is the hope of heaven that helps us to endure through the struggles of this life. But I got good news for you. You just passed through. We're just aliens, strangers. Pilgrims and sojourners just passing through this foreign country. We live in tents. These feeble human bodies, these temporary dwellings. But those who accept God's invitation, friend, are headed for a glorious place after this life. We may live on the shifting sand down here, but we're headed to a city that's got firm foundations. It will never fall. It's a city whose builder and maker is none other than a carpenter named Jesus Christ. navigation equipment. He became disoriented while flying the jet and he announced to his passengers, ladies and gentlemen, we've got good news and bad news. The bad news is we don't know where we're going. The good news is we're sure making good time. Is your life flying by? Is your life flying by? But you've got no direction. Is your life flying by? But you're not, you're not following your God-given purpose. Is 
have serious doubts about where you're going after this life? Do you have the assurance, friend, that if you died today, you would wake up in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thus you shall always be for the rest of your days? Are you sure? Are you sure? If so, Praise God. Amen. Because he's the only one that can do it. But if not, why don't you make sure today? Why don't you identify the direction that God is leading you? Why don't you identify the purpose for which God has called you? And start seeking after God's purpose for your life. You can make sure during our decision time this morning if you'll come forward I would be overjoyed not to tell you what Brother Bill thinks or what Bethel Baptist thinks but I can tell you what the Word of God says about how you can know for sure that heaven is your home our Father in heaven place, a city for all those who will come to Jesus by faith. Not, not thinking anything about what we can do or can't do, but thinking about what Jesus has already done and what he accomplished for us. Father, if there is one person, one person here today that needs to hear the glorious good news of what your word Let's all stand. Let's sing. Just as I am. Let's stand. Let's sing.